Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. As you know, So What Else is a story-based podcast, and so today we have Sophia Satariano on to share her story. You know that adoption is something that's actually come up a lot on this podcast. We've had a lot of adoptive parents on to share their really beautiful stories. We had Brittany Salmon on um, to talk about her book, It Takes More Than Love. Whitney Furr was a really popular episode because she herself was a birth mom and also an adoptee. And so I'm really excited to have Sophia on today because she actually was in the foster care system from when she was age two till she aged out at 21. And she was in a lot of different homes. She went through a lot of different things. I just think this story is really, really powerful to just bring awareness and shed light on things that kids go through in the foster care system. She shares her story really beautifully and just where she is today with it. And she also talks about ways that we can get involved and how we can help and things that we can do to help make it better. And I just think that that's so amazing. I'm so thankful she was willing to share her story. So stay tuned. Sophia, welcome to So What Else. Awesome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And it is very early where you are. Yes, it is. <laughs> what time is it? 6.45? 6.45, yes. A.M. A.M. So it's 9.45 here. So I'm in Jersey. You're in California, right? I'm Roseville, California. I give you so much credit. And you're like done. You're ready. Like your hair looks good. Like you look great. I, at 6.45 in the morning... I'm not like that. I'm a hot mess, like running around, like shoving children like out of their beds and things. I, when I was throwing out times for like, when should we interview? Like when would be good? And you were like, yeah, we could do that day. And then I realized you were Pacific standard time. I was like, do you, uh, you really want to do 645 in the morning? And you're like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, oh my gosh, my hero. Yes. I'm excited to be here. I think I woke up at like five. So, Oh my goodness. You know, wide awake for it. So I'm excited and happy to be here. Oh, well, you're awesome. Are you an early riser every day? No, I'm not. My husband is very surprised at me today. (laughs) (laughs) Normally I'm the last one out of bed, but. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, thank you. Then that means a lot. Thank you so much for making this happen. It's so funny, like, because I know you have kids, right? I have a 12 year old and a seven year old. Okay. It's like, you know, the mom game, whenever I'm interviewing moms and I have two kids, you know, it's like, we're always like, okay, so I drop off this one at this time and this one at this time. So I have this hour, you know, it's just like the constant squeezing it in. I can totally relate. Totally. (laughs) I appreciate you squeezing it in while (laughs) my two children are at school. So my house is for once quiet. Cause then I've even had times where I'm recording. And if my younger one's home and she's running around upstairs, it comes through. Like, it sounds like there's an elephant. Like people are like, what is that? I'm like, it's just the way it catches on the mic and the thing. It's like, it's crazy, but what are you going to do? Right. So have you always been in California? Yeah, I actually have always been in California, born and raised. Where are you about in California? I'm in Northern California. So I'm in like Roseville area, which is really nice. I'm like an hour and a half from the mountains and like an hour and a half from the bay. So, so does it snow by you or no? No, see, we're not that close to the mountains, but if I drove up an hour, I'd see snow. So, okay. Well, that's kind of perfect. That's really perfect. One way is snow, mountains and lakes and the other way is the ocean. I love that. That's amazing. We actually, my kids already got called a half day today because we're having snow 
here today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all the parents are like, this is not good. This is the week before Christmas. Like I have so many things to do. Now my child is coming home half day. I, I had so many things to do and now it's ruined, but what are you going to do? I decided I I was going to have so much baking done today, which goes 74,000 times faster without my kids. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, I'm going to like do some deep breathing first and we're just going to buckle up and I'm going to do it with them and know that it's going to take me 12 hours. Yeah. Well, I'll pray for you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I need it. I literally now, now my new trick is like when we bake, I make my children wear masks because they're just constantly like they rub, they rub their nose and then they touch the thing or they cough and then they touch the thing or they're eating all of the, and I'm like, guess what? Our new procedure is that we wear masks when we bake because this is gross and you guys obviously don't know how to keep it together. So whatever, at least I have that. That's hilarious. I'm not a baker, so I don't have that problem, but I cook. So okay, yes. Stir the pot. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's my older one, my six-year-old, now is like on this new thing where she always wants to like serve herself. But uh-huh. it's like, you know, it's like we're having soup and she can't really reach the thing. And then it's all over. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, you got it. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Love it. Love it. So listen, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine sent me your blog. And she said that she had found it, I don't know, on like a Facebook group or something like that. And she sent it to me, which I absolutely love because everybody who knows me knows that I'm always on the lookout for people who have a story to tell. I mean, everybody has a story to tell. Okay. Everyone has a story, but someone that would be good for the podcast. Right. And so she sent it to me. I stalked your blog and I reached out to you and here we are. So I was really drawn to your story because I know that you were in the foster care system as a child. And so something that's really interesting is that on this podcast, I want to say we've had three or four birth. No, 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 not birth. Three or four adoptive parents mm-hmm. on to share their stories that have either fostered kids or adopted kids internationally or whatever. Like everyone's story is different, um, which I love. I think that it's amazing for adoptive parents to share their stories of of all of that. Mm-hmm. But I interviewed Brittany Salmon and she wrote a book called It Takes More Than Love. She's an adoptive mom. And in our interview, she was really clear about like, listen, there's the adoption triad. There's the adoptive parents, the birth parents, and the children. And Mm -hmm. we can't only hear stories from the adoptive parents because that's not a full picture of like what's going on, you know? And I was really struck by that. I was like, oh yeah, like I haven't had anybody from other parts of the triad on, you know? So then I was able to connect with Whitney Fur, who was actually a birth mom and an adoptee. So she was adopted as a child. And then as, as an adult, she was a birth mom. So she represented like two, you know what I mean? Like parts of the triad. And her story was very, very interesting. Um, but I was drawn to you because I do feel like, hello, you are a child that has navigate, navigated the foster care system. And these are stories that we need to hear because I don't feel like it's as common to hear from birth parents or adoptees. Do you feel that way? 
Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of the reps is more so the parents and like how mm-hmm. they've adopted and how they help change kids' lives. Um, and I think the kids are just kind of, I think it's out of protection uh, because a lot of the court has a say in what is said and what is told about these kids. That's um, true. But now out of the system, it's been a little bit different. So I would have to agree it's more so the adults, not the kids who get to speak up. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that it's really awesome. So I wanted to hear your story today. So kind of like start at the beginning for us. Like how old were you when you were first placed in a foster home? Like tell us like about the beginnings. Yeah. So from what I remember and what's on record um, is my first foster home um, that I remembered was two years old. Oh, Um, wow. Prior to that, see, I, I was born into the foster care system. So uh, there was a story of I was also living on Indian reservation. There's a couple of things that I've actually been interested in, like digging up my files from the courts and being yeah. like, what really happened? Um, but from what I remember and what's true to this day is um, two years old is when I was first placed in a foster home. So. Okay. And then you had siblings? Yep. So I had siblings. Um, so I was um, in a foster care home or in, a, in the foster care system. And then a family was coming to look for um, a child. They had recently, a year or two before, had a miscarriage of a baby girl. Okay. Uh, So they were there. Mom had happened to fall in love with me. Um, They were Christians. They prayed about it. They went home. They talked to the family about it. Um, And then they came back to make the decision, you know, we are going to take her. And when they came back to take me, they were informed that my three other siblings were just recently brought into the into the system as well. Um, so it wasn't just one girl now, it was four girls. Um, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so after that happened, they went home again. They prayed about it because again, yeah. they for just one. Yeah. Uh, and they actually, after praying and talking to the family and looking at it as a bigger picture, um, they couldn't separate us. They're like, how are we going to separate these girls? They just got back together. Yeah. Uh, my sister and I were all about two and a half years apart from each other. Mm-hmm. So we're talking two-year-olds, five-year-olds, and like a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, two of them were twins. So. Oh, okay. All right. So prior to that, you weren't with your sisters. <laughs> uh, no, I was not. I was just in the system by myself. Yeah. And they were in other homes. From my understanding, yeah. Okay, so you guys were in like short-term, like foster-type homes, and then these people came in and wanted to adopt, adopt. That was the plan. Adoption actually never happened, um, but that was the plan. Um, Okay. I believe from what happened is my sisters were actually with my biological parents. um, Okay. Yes, was actually called on them, which is why they were then taken away. Um, so when I was born, I was actually born cocaine and meth positive, oh. um, which is why I was born into the system. So I never kind of really went home. Um, whereas my sisters, were, they did go home. Uh, but again, CPS was called. Things were still going on. Um, so they brought them into the system as well. So that's kind of how we got reunited. Okay, that makes sense. Now, a quick <laughs> aside, if you're born... What did you say? Meth and cocaine positive? Mm-hmm. So what is that? I mean, obviously you don't remember, but I'm sure you know. Like, so what is that? It, what does that look like? Like a NICU stay and like they wean you off? Like, you know, I've never actually dove into it. Um, but from my own knowledge and my own history of like looking into drugs, um, those those drugs specifically only stay in your system for like three days. Oh, wow. So that means at the time my mother was using. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. All I know is it wasn't safe, obviously. Uh, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but what happened to me in the hospital, I, I really can't recall. I don't remember. Yeah. I said from there, I was given to an Indian reservation and I was just kind of kept safe. Um, and then eventually went into the system. So that's so interesting. Okay. So crazy. (laughs) So this couple who came to adopt, they were named Liz and Larry, right? That's correct. All right. So you're about two years old. Mm -hmm. They take you and your three older sisters into their home. So tell us about that. Like, what was that home life like? Yeah. So, uh, Liz and Larry, um, I like to say that they were heaven sent. Um, they were truly angels that walked the earth, honestly. Mm. Um, when they took us in, we lived in, um, in Bolton, which is kind of like Elk Grove, Sacramento area. And Mm. we all got horses. Uh, they actually lived on, they lived on a ranch and we had chickens and horses and pigs and all this fun stuff. So we were very, um, we were raised in a very solid home. We were raised in a Christian home, um, growing up through the years we were in choir, we were in Awanas. Um, it was a very family oriented home. Like Mm -hmm. every Sunday, our whole family went out to dinner, you know? Yeah. And, um, we weren't just doing just, they weren't just leaving us. It was always a family thing. So it was Mm -hmm. a very well-rounded home, um, to the point where, again, I was two. So I actually didn't even know I was a foster child. Right. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So you, it's not like this was, you weren't getting bounced around. Like you were there with them for a long time. This is a happy, healthy home. You call them mom and dad. You think of them as mom and dad. Like you don't know any different. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, it was from two to 11. So I had a very different story in the systems where other foster kids you do hear, they get bounced around, they go mm-hmm. from um, I luckily, by the grace of God, didn't have that experience. I had a very firm foundation from two to 11, um, where I was loved, I was respected, I had cousins, you know, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I didn't know I was a foster child until I was actually 11 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. to me, they were just mom and dad. And there was always social workers that would come. Um, but I never really put it together, you know, Oh, they're just here to ask me some questions, you know, like, how do you feel? Are you safe? You know, my, they had responsibilities to take you to the doctors, the dentist. So I was very well taken care of in those uh, solid years from two to 11. And so were my sisters. So we got to grow up together. I shared a room with my oldest sister and I always wanted to be like her and I always wanted Mm. to take her clothes and stuff. And my two twin sisters, they were, they were more tomboys. They were very rough. Um, so they would always, play games and never want me involved because I'm the little (laughs) one. Um, But we had a very, very good family, very protected um, and very full of love. So So then what happened when you were 11? Yeah. So from at 11, um, well, probably more so at nine, uh, our mother was diagnosed with cancer. So Liz had cancer. Um, and it came as breast cancer. So we started noticing a few things like she was always going to the doctor or her mm-hmm. hair was falling out. Um, and we were just told mom was sick, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, okay, not really understanding it. I would just be good. You know, like if mom, dad said, be quiet, we'd be quiet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then the cancer, they ended up taking it out of her breast. Um, and then it was good for like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved a few times, just like downgrading and stuff, because there was a lot going on. Um, and then it came back. The cancer came back as um, as lung cancer. Mm. Yeah, as lung cancer. Um, and that, that ultimately just took her out. Um, so oh. that we lost her in 2004. Um, and so I was 11 at the time. Um, And that's kind of, well, if we backtrack just a little bit before mom actually passed away, um, 
I was, we were kind of all removed from the home because they were constantly in the hospital. Um, So I was placed with her sister who also happened to be a foster care parent. Um, So I still stayed in the family, right? Because the goal was to keep us safe, to protect us. They didn't want us going into the system. Uh, And that was actually by her request. She was like, no, they're not going back. Like, these are my girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went to her sisters. Um, my other sisters, they went to other homes and that was just because, well, really, I'm not sure. It was just kind of how it all worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but me as the baby, the goal was to protect me along the way. So as sure. long as she could, she kept me in the home. So or, how was that explained to you? Like, were they just like, listen, mom's sick. So it's just too hard right now for you to live here. Like, cause she's in the hospital a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's just, Hey, mom's really sick. We're in the hospital. You're going to go stay with your aunt. Um, and so I stayed with my aunt, um, for a while. And then, um, when my, before my mom actually passed away, she died June 9th of 2004. Um, but the last time I actually saw her, um, was mother's day. So mother's day normally like around May 12th, May 14th. Right. Um, that was the last time I physically saw my mom. That was the last time I talked to my mom. Um, that was kind of before she went back into the hospital and never came back out. Mm. Um, and I always, like it always tugs my heart sometimes because it's like, man, like how come I didn't get to go see her in the hospital? Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't allowed for some reason. Nobody would take me. Um, I, I guess they thought they were protecting me. I was yeah. And um, so seeing my mom on the last day on Mother's Day was it's really a blessing now that I'm older and I can look back at it because she called me that night. Um, I had came into the house and I had like a gift for her and she was talking and she was like, Oh, just go put it in the room. And I was like, okay, you know, just whatever, just go put it in the room. And she didn't realize it was a mother's day gift. It was like a little teddy bear and a card. And, and so she called me later that night and she was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I didn't understand. Like I didn't know. I like, I love you. I love the gift and thank you so much. And we kind of just had our last conversation that night. And mm-hmm. again, I was 11. Um, and then that was it. After that, she just kind of went into the hospital. And then I kind of um, was still living at my aunt's. A few things happened um, and I was uh, removed from the home and I was placed in a few respite homes. Um, and my social worker was just kind of taking me around all the time. And I just remember the day we were doing a house visit for another child in foster care. And it was my grandma. And I was like, hey, grandma, like, how are you? I love you. You know, I miss you. And she was crying and I instantly knew what happened. And I was mm. like, like, it's happening, you know, and she talked to my social worker and and my social worker was actually the one that had to tell me that my mom died. Oh. Yeah. And I'm just like in this car, like busy, like totally out of my element, mm-hmm. not around anybody who loves me. Like it was really hard. So, so where was your dad during this time? Yeah. So her husband, Larry, um, mm-hmm. was obviously by her side in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this, when it was all happening, I mean, he was, he was dealing with it the best he could. Um, Liz and Larry were high school sweethearts. They got like, I think it was 15. I hope I'm getting that right. I want to say they were like lovebirds since 15 years old or 16 mm-hmm. and they grew up and married. Um, mm-hmm. so my mom died pretty young. I don't really know the age, but I want to say she was probably like mid forties when she actually mm-hmm. passed away. So think about all those years together. And it's like losing the love of your life. So So it's like you're 11 years old and you've lost your mom. Like you said, you didn't 
it doesn't matter that she was your foster mom, technically. A, you didn't even know that, but who cares? Even if you did know that, she raised you from when you were two. Mm-hmm. So you were literally with this woman from two to 11 and then she mm-hmm. dies and you're told by a social worker and you're not even with your sisters. You're not with the man that you, the only man that you know is your dad. And oh, that must be really traumatizing. Yeah. You know, now that I say it out loud, I'm like, wow, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was hard, but I, uh, I just, that's kind of who I am and how I roll. I just kind of keep going, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, it happened. I knew it was happening. I just dealt with the emotions the best I could. Mm-hmm. I would kind of like cry in private, things like that. Um, and at the time, my the where I was li- where I was living, um, she tried to comfort me as best as she could. Um, her name is Janice. She's mm-hmm. actually still in my life today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also a blessing. She's the social worker. No, so this was my foster parent. Okay, okay, the, the the home you got placed in. Okay, yeah, where I was where I was technically living at at the time. Mm-hmm. I had re, I was removed from um, my aunt's house just due mm-hmm. to a couple of things, um, and I was placed in a few respites. And at the time, I was in a respite with Janice, mm-hmm. uh, and so she's actually known me since I was eleven. Um, wow. twenty nine now, so she's still part of my life. Um, wow. But yeah, so my dad was was in the hospital and doing the best he could and losing, losing his wife and Mm -hmm. losing his daughters at the same time, Mm because we've all been now removed from him. Um, he was going through it. He was, Mm -hmm. he was hurting. So So then after that, I think if I remember correctly from your blogs, he then was fighting the system basically to get you guys back. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. After his grieving and after everything that he was going through after the funerals and things like that, um, first funeral I've actually ever been to was my mom's. Mm. Uh, So that was, that was, let's pause right there. That was, um, that was an experience because remember the last time I saw her was mother's day and then she died June 9th. And then, um, we had, they quickly actually had a funeral. I want to say it was like a week later Mm -hmm. and they had an open casket. Oh, oh, that's hard. So that was very hard. Um, from what they say, they say I freaked out. They say I had oh. a, like a fit, like a breakdown. But from what I remember, I remember sitting there just fine. I remember shaking people's hands. Uh, she worked at the Capitol. She worked for the governor at uh, the state mm. Capitol. So it was a very, very big funeral. Yeah. And I don't remember freaking out. I don't remember having a breakdown. Um, apparently, I blacked it out. Yeah. I was just going to say, that's so interesting. I mean, yeah. I... Yeah. Oh, and that man. was recent. Like my sisters, like I want to say like a couple of years ago, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. I was like, yeah, I remember this and that. And they like kind of looked at me like, what? Like you don't remember what happened? And and I don't. So um wow. Yeah. So I mean, after moving through all of that and the funeral and getting through everything, um, Larry wanted us back. He was like, Those are my mm-hmm. girls. I've had mm-hmm. them since well, me specifically since two years old. Right. He's, I'm getting them back. And the court system said, mm, nope, not so sure. I don't think you're stable enough. I don't think your mental health is enough. I don't think okay. your emotional health is enough. So he had to go to the courts. I want to say it was like for months. I want to say a mm. good, maybe even a year, every month we were at the court in Oakland on top of that. So that's like an hour and a half away. It's like the uh. big. And so I was in the meantime in some respite homes and he, I would visit him. I would still be involved with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, my sisters were kind of 
removed from the picture because we got separated. Um, but we would still see each other here and there. So I remember the last court visit that we had, um, it, I think it was the final one. And it was a good day because we went to Alcatraz after that. We had a good time. And mm-hmm. and then he slowly got us back. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, though, when he got us back, he was also dating. Um, something very powerful about my mother is Liz, who passed away, is before she died, she had the conversation uh, with him about um, how you can't be alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you can handle it. You need somebody and I'm okay with it. Um, so he actually, um, she actually got to meet the woman he was going to remarry after my mom died. Right. Talk about crazy. Right. <laughs> so wait, how, she met her as what? Like just in the hospital. She met her as well as a friend. I'm assuming. Again, okay. Yeah. This is what, what has been told to me. Mm-hmm. Um, met her, gave, basically gave her blessing to this woman and, and told my dad, like, you cannot be alone. Like, and I don't want you alone. You weren't built to be alone. Like, and so she had these tough conversations, which wow. was the last podcast that, or the recent one that I listened yeah. to having the conversations of like, well, do you remarry after? Uh-huh. And it's crazy to think that my mother was so strong to do that, you know, like on her death. Totally. So getting us back. um, Wow. Yeah, he's now dating. Um, Her name is Linda. She's my stepmom. And she lived in L.A. at the time. And Mm -hmm. so we were like, okay, like I was just happy to be home with dad, Mm -hmm. right? Totally. My sisters were a little bit older in their teenage years. A little upset that dad's dating again. Mom just died. How are you moving on so quickly? Just agree. You know, um, and I'm just like, yay, dad, and a new woman in my life to braid my hair. You know, totally. like, yeah, you just wanted stability, I'm sure. Yeah, stability, exactly. And again, that's just how I've been. I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing now, or this is mm-hmm. what we're doing now, or this is the home I'm in now, you know, and just kind of just going with it with just, you know, just grace and happiness is how I try to approach it. Um, so that relationship ended up becoming a marriage, um, which some of our family was happy about. Some of our family wasn't happy about. I was just happy. Dad was happy. Yeah. And and I told everybody that I was like, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but look at him. He's smiling again. Mm -hmm. He has a pep in his step. He's singing songs again, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm all for it. I was totally Debbie's girl. So, (laughs) and after like losing my mom at 11, it's like, these days, I remember her. I remember certain things about her, but I don't really remember her as much as I remember my dad. And I think it's because totally. after going through the loss of her, I realized what that relationship was. So I clung to him. Of course. And I was, oh, okay. So he remarries and she lives in LA. So she mm-hmm. had a state job. Um, so we all moved to LA. Oh. Um and when I say we all, it was me and my two twin sisters. Uh, my eldest sister, she um, had her feelings about our new stepmother and mm-hmm. was in her senior year of high school, didn't want to leave. Yeah. So she stayed behind with a friend. So it was okay. just three of us that kind of moved. Um, and it was good. We were like, it was a whole new life. It was like, I came from the mountains and the bay to like, mm-hmm. now I'm five minutes from the ocean. It's like, yeah, it, it was great. And it's like, I made new friends and stuff mm-hmm. and. And it was pretty solid for a little while when we moved out there. So Okay. Um, and so then when did things turn? Yeah, things started turning. Um, my sisters just kind of started like acting out. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was just 
living in a new environment or mm-hmm. really just not liking our stepmom. Um, I learned a lot, not, <laughs> I learned a lot what not to do by watching my sisters, mm-hmm. you know, because they were, like I said, they're very tough. They're very headstrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they just kind of started getting into it and it was just constant like yelling and like mm-hmm. slamming doors. And it was like just hurtful words coming out. And I just, I was like, what is going on to my family? Like, what's mm-hmm. happening? Like, why are we treating each other like this? Um, mm-hmm. And I remember one day it got really bad. Um, I, I don't remember what the argument was about, but it was between my dad and one of my twin sisters and they were going at it. Um, and she ended up punching out a window. Oh. There's, I'm, there's a lot of, clearly there's a lot of hurt and anger in her that needed to be worked out, mm-hmm. but they had just gotten to an argument and I just heard glass shattering mm-hmm. and I'm like in the back room. Cause I'm trying to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. I like run in and my sister's like whole arm is like bleeding and my dad's freaking out. And like, and I just stopped and I just yelled at the top of my lungs and I was like, why are we always fighting? Mm. And like, but from like a 12 year old, like high pitched scream, you mm-hmm. know, and just like tears rolling down my face and my dad's heart's racing. And then he's sitting down and I'm like, oh my gosh, is he having a heart attack? Like, right. what's here? like, and I just went over to him and I just placed my hand on him and I just started mm. praying for him. Mm. And and then he just kind of came back to it and realized mm. that my sister's arm is bleeding, rushed him to the hospital. Uh, so I think that was kind of like the, what what do they call it? The camel's back. The just, straw that broke the camel's back. That's the one. Okay, yeah. That kind of, yeah, that did that. And so this is something I found out later down the road is um, him and my stepmother were in discussion with the social workers again. It's too much. It's like, we can't do this because they were also older. They were like in their fifties and just their health and work and they just couldn't take it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a discussion was had that the twins needed to be removed. um, And he was trying to keep me in the home. Cause again, I'm the baby. Yeah. Back to me along the way. Um, Social worker said, nope, can't do that. If you're going to take two out of the home, you're going to take the third one out of the home too. Mm. And he, again, was trying to fight for it. Um, So he's, they're going through all of this with the courts. Not, I don't know any of this until Mm -hmm. years later. Um, And so the night that he was going to tell us, um, that day kind of changed everything. So that day was supposed to be a father-daughter day and him and I were supposed to hang out. Um, And he's a construction worker. He built houses, things like that. And he was, he cut his hand previously, like, I don't know, like a week before. Um, So he had a bunch of stitches in his hand. So he should Mm -hmm. not have been working, nor should he have been on top of a roof. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's running out the door. He goes, oh, I'll be back in like 10 minutes. And I was like, like, dad, where are you going? Like, it's supposed to be like our day, you know, like, what are you doing? He goes, I just have to go check something at the site. And I was like, all right, well, give me a kiss. You know, like, where, where do you think you're going without giving me a kiss? You know, Um, he said, okay, I'll be back. And I was like, all right. And so he kind of just left through that door. And that was the last hug and kiss I got from him. Um, I just kind of waited for him all day. And I was just like pacing the house. Like, well, why isn't he back? Like he said, we were going to hang out. Like there's something that couldn't be that important. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm calling his cell phone. He's not answering. And, and like an hour turned into like three and three turned into five. And then the sun is setting and then the phone rings. And I'm just like, whoa, like, and my sisters at this time were at the mall with the friends hanging out because I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for dad all day. I made him cookies. So when he came home, like mm. 
that and you know earlier I made a statement that I said I don't bake I used to bake I used mm. to bake all the time I used to bake my dad cookies and mm. after losing him I think I just kind of stopped you know mm-hmm. But I really used to make some really good oatmeal cookies. <laughs> um, so the phone rings and it's my cousin this time and she's crying. And I'm like having like PTSD. Like I know. It's yeah. Happening. And she's like, where are your sisters? Like, I need to talk to them. And I'm like, well, just talk to me. Like, what's going on? And she's like, no, I need to talk to your sisters. And I'm like, OK, well, they'll be back in like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then so I hang up the phone and they come in and I'm like, you need to call Audra right now because something's mm-hmm. wrong and it's a test to do with dad. And they're like, what? You know, like mm-hmm. they just got back from the mall with their friends. And I'm like, no, you need to call it like, right now. So eventually they call, they're crying. And then <clears throat> Linda's sister, my stepmom's sister, my aunt Ruby is picking us up. Um, and they're just kind of telling us like your dad had an accident and we have to go to the hospital right now. Um, and I swear that was the longest car ride of my entire life. Mm-hmm. There was so much traffic. I've never dealt with like people talk about LA traffic. I think that is whenever people talk about that, I imagine that day. Yeah, I was yeah. like, these cars need to get out of the way. Like this, mm-hmm. you can move. <laughs> like, um, and so we get there, and my like a lot of my family's there, like uncles mm-hmm. and cousins, and like hit my brothers, his two sons, mm-hmm. like. Um, and this, again, we're in LA family lives mm-hmm. in Sacramento. Why is everybody here? You, guys yeah. should, you know, and it was a call to basically come say your goodbyes. Mm. And so my brother, Brian, um, once we all get there, he just kind of with tears in his eye, he just kind of tells us like, Hey, dad had a really bad accident. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not sure if he's going to survive, which is why we're all here. Um, and we, we basically need to say our goodbyes and he's working through it. I mean, this is his biological father, you know, sure. this is his dad. Um, I think at the time Brian was maybe in his early thirties. Okay. Maybe. Um, and so he's a grown man, but mm-hmm. he's, I've never seen him cry like that. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's a sheriff and a cop and always hard and I've never seen him soft, you know? So to see him like that really broke me too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was my turn to say my goodbyes to my dad. Um, and so I, I remember walking into the room and I just, his head was bandaged. Um, he had fallen at the site, mm-hmm. um, and hit his head from a two story. The la- the ladder wasn't stable apparently. Um, <sighs> and keep in mind his hand was cut. So when he yeah, was coming of down, we didn't really have a lot of grasp or couldn't grasp. Um, maybe I'm making that up in my head, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to like, from what I picture from the yeah. side. Um, so this ladder wasn't stable. He fell, hit his head, um, open. So when I go, they basically had to like remove his skull and his head was like bandaged and it was like Mm. massive. Mm -hmm. His eye was big and purple. I mean, Mm. completely not distorted, but disfigured for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just remember looking at him and I was like, oh my gosh, like I've never, like, that's the strongest man I've ever known is like, he, he was like a, just to put some character around him is he was a country boy. He had a big mm-hmm. red truck. You know, he was hard. His hands had calluses, you know, mm-hmm. he's big, strong, like rough on the outside, but totally soft with his heart. Um, so to see him like that really, um, that was for sure traumatizing. Are you uh, sure? Again, I, go ahead. How old are you at the time? Uh, I was, so this is about two years later. So I'm about okay. 13. Yeah. So I lost mom at <sighs> yeah. 11 going through this at 13 <sighs> and when I'm in there my uncle's in there with me and like I went to like go walk up to basically say goodbye and all of the machines just like and oh. like a rush of like 
nurses and doctors. And I was basically just ripped out of the room. Mm. And I was like, whoa, like that happened so quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. So ultimately we had the decision or Linda had the decision. We do the surgery. He might survive. We don't do the surgery and he dies right now. Mm-hmm. As his wife, she did the surgery. You know? Of course. Yes. Um, after that surgery that night, we kind of stayed at a hotel. And then the next day there comes a man walking down the hallway. He's in a suit. He's carrying a briefcase. I know exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, like that's, it's, I mean, this is quickly turning, you know? So it's like, I was with this family from two to 11 and then I was away for a couple of years and then I was finally back and now I'm about to get ripped out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the social worker basically said, um, Linda's not able to take care of you. The family members aren't able to take care of you because they all had their own families. Like my sure. brother, my brother was asked to take us. He, they were basically said, will you take the girls? He had three kids of his own. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have done it, you know, and he was like going through it. So the, back in the system, we went. And I was handed a trash bag. Yeah. They handed me a trash bag and they brought me to my home and they said, gather whatever you want. And like, no emotion, just get, grab your stuff. And I was like, whoa, like I, I just, he fought so hard to get us back. Like if he knew what you guys were doing right now, like he would mm-hmm. rip all of your heads off. Mm-hmm. You know? So, and then not only did they give me a trash bag to put my stuff in, uh, it was me and my two twin sisters. They separate us. They, mm. they, they start taking us to two different cars and my oldest sister, she was like, wait, what's going on? Like, where's Sophia going? And they're like, oh, well, she's going to this home. And she was like, no, no, like take me, like have her stay with my other sister. Like you guys can't separate her and send her by herself. And they were like, no, you need to get in the car. Like you guys are twins. You guys need to stay together. And mm. she was like, no, seriously, like swap. Like you can't do that. Like that's my baby sister, you know? And she, I was like, what's happening? And they were just like, get in the car. And I was like, okay. And I was then separated from my sisters again. Mm-hmm. And I was taken to a home um, where English was not the first language. And oh, I no. speak another language. I speak English. Yeah. <laughs> and I was placed in this foster home and I was basically raised by a 15 year old. And oh. it was it, it wasn't horrible, but I mean, looking back at it now, I'm like, how did the system allow that? Like, mm-hmm. how did you place me in a home that English is their second language and it's very little, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it was very hard being in that home. So how long were you there? I was there for about maybe a year and a half. And I finally just spoke up and um, I told my social worker and, and in between that, I did get to see my sisters. They were okay. about they were about 15 minutes away. So it wasn't like we weren't put in different counties, you know, we were just mm-hmm. kind of 15, 20 minutes away from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still got to see each other. Um, and I was there for about a year and a half. And after middle school, I went into high school. So now I was at the same high school as them. Uh, we mm-hmm. went to Lakewood High. Um, and it was good, but it was a very, very big school. And I was just like, I just, I don't like it. Like, I don't like where I'm living. I like... My dad, um, during these, during that year or two that we were there, my dad, um, he did survive the surgery. What happened? He did survive. Um, but he was kind of in a vegetable state and and I don't, I don't like that term, but that's what the doctors use. Mm -hmm. Um, but he couldn't talk. He couldn't walk. He had a thing in his throat. He, Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I'm not sure if he could see, but he could hear. 
Um, but basically a vegetable state. He should mm-hmm. not have had the fall. He should the surgery should never have been done mm-hmm. because he wasn't living. He was in like a home and he had a tube in his throat and he mm-hmm. had to get turned and stuff. And I visited him a few times. And after a couple of times, I was just kind of like, well, there's nothing here for me anymore. You know? Mm-hmm. So I told my social worker and I was like, Hey, can, I was like, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go back to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, well, we'll look for some homes. And I was like, no, I want you to call Janice. And that mm-hmm. was one of the respite homes where I was living when my mom died. Mm-hmm. I said, I want you to call her. And I want you to tell her that Sophia's calling and she wants mm-hmm. to come back. So they called her and she said, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I then left LA um, and I was living with Janice. And that was about second semester of freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good. I was happy. I was with somebody, at least another woman figure. I had a lot of mom figures in my mm-hmm. life um, and everything was going good. I was in high school. Um, I got reconnected with my friends from elementary school, mm-hmm. which was a beautiful thing. Um, and I was in, I was a cheerleader. I was, uh, I became chair captain. I had good grades. Mm-hmm. I, I was just kind of doing everything that I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but high school was fun. I was like a chameleon. <laughs> I like, I fit in with the cheerleaders, but I also hung out with the skaters. And then mm-hmm. I was with the popular kids, but I could also hang out with like, with like the nerdy kids, you know, <laughs> so I was a very well-rounded, I just adapted. It's kind of just one of my strengths. I just, mm-hmm. where I was at is how I acted. Um, I didn't change who I was, but I fit in enough to get them comfortable or to have other people open up to me mm-hmm. or accept me. Um, so I was, I was back with Janice, which was great. Um, and then she got diagnosed with cancer. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't mean to laugh out of like, ha oh, oh, I, I mean to laugh like, wow, really? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she didn't tell me because I lost my mom to cancer. Mm-hmm. I was now a teenager acting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, it just, I was going downhill. I was staying out late. I was doing things I shouldn't do, hanging out with people I shouldn't be with. And she started noticing things, you know, mm-hmm. and we just kind of came to an agreement like, hey, you know, it's kind of time. It's not going to work out anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was, this was probably about junior year and I was like, okay. And so I agreed to go to another foster home. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I don't know if you read that blog, but this is, this is the home that I actually felt like a foster child. Um, So tell us about that. Yeah. A a lot of people, when they meet me, they're like, and they figure out I was a foster kid. Like, oh, you don't act like a foster kid or you don't look like a foster Mm. kid. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, what, what do you mean? I don't look and act like a foster Mm -hmm. kid. Like, do you expect me to be on drugs? Do you expect Mm -hmm. me to be in the streets? Like, what do you mean? So I always tell people, well, tell me more about that. Like, mm-hmm. what is your, you know? Yeah. Uh, but this home that I was placed in, I felt like a foster child. And that's a whole different feeling from looking and acting like a foster child. Mm-hmm. Um, I was placed in a home and I just, I won't say names just to protect them, but it was not a good home. The mother was like an alcoholic, um, mm. which I worked through th- my own therapy and counseling for that and figuring mm-hmm. like how that triggered me down the road. But mm-hmm. alcoholic, um, the girl that I shared a room with was doing meth inside of the room with me. Um, just basically treated like um, like a check because foster parents get paid to have kids, yeah. you know? It's supposed to be for their well-being, but mm-hmm. I felt like a check. I was there to clean the bathrooms. I was there to do the dishes. I was there to watch the other kids. 
Um, and then other than that, I was to be seen and not heard. Um, mm. So I dove into cheerleading. I just stayed at the school as long as possible. Um, I did go through a moment where the girl in my room who was doing meth offered it to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I'm good, you know. And then for some weird reason, I tried it. Mm-hmm. And when I tried it, um, thank God it never stuck with me because it's one of the hardest drugs to break. Right. But I did try it and I did tell people that I loved. I had a boyfriend at the time and I let him know what I did. And he mm-hmm. he was devastated. Like, I mean, he was crying when I got to mm-hmm. the school. This was like on a school night. And I'm like showing up to school. I think it was summer school, honestly. And I'm like basically high on meth. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like sitting in class, like, blah, 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 you know, just like trying to work through it. And And after that experience, I told my social worker, I was like, I can't be here. This isn't a safe environment for me. Like, I didn't rat the girl out because I didn't want, you know, I just, I didn't want to hurt one to beat me up. And two, Mm -hmm. like, I just wanted to move on, you know? And so my social worker at the time was still from LA and I had moved back to Sacramento. So he didn't really know what was going on. And I was like, no, like, it's really bad. Like, I can't be here. He's like, well, why? And like, I wouldn't tell him. And if I would have just said it, it would have been solved, you know? Sure. But I was scared. Um, But what I did do is I dove into cheerleading and I started opening up to my cheer coach. Um, Mm -hmm. And she would start like taking me home and dropping me off and just learning a little bit more about me. Um, And then she actually ended up becoming one of my legal guardians. Oh my goodness. Your cheer coach. Yeah, my cheer coach. So she kind of just took me from the home, another mother figure. I've had a lot of mom figures. Mm-hmm. In um, and it was great. Everything was going good um, until it wasn't. It was like we had a really good relationship. And and then a couple things got involved that shouldn't have been happening. Um, kids were coming over and like things were happening that shouldn't have been happening. It's like, oh, that's a red flag. And and I'm like, well, how is like she allowing this and this isn't okay? And I won't go too much into detail, but I knew it was wrong. I mm-hmm. knew what was happening was wrong. Um, so again, I was like, all right. And this is about like senior year, like, mm-hmm. um, like um, yeah, senior year. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of closed senior year out with her. Like we had our ups, our downs, but it was kind of like on her terms and mm-hmm. what she allowed and what I saw. And then after kind of senior year, we just kind of kept butting heads mm-hmm. and I went back to Mimi's. She happened to live, Mimi is Janice. Oh, okay. Dressed at home. I call her Mimi. They happened to live on the same street on opposite sides. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I just walked right over one day back to Janice and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like I was such a brat, you know, mm. Please take me back. Like I'm experiencing things I shouldn't. And I'm just trying mm. to get my head right, you know? And she took me back and I uh, got a state job. So I um, I started working for the Department of Social Services. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I know we're quickly running through my life, but mm-hmm. I, I eventually did get a state job. And and that was a that was a blessing. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, that's really crazy. So are you still <laughs> doing that today? No, I'm not. Um I did that for a couple of years um, and it was probably one of the most fulfilling jobs that I ever had because mm-hmm. I was, I could relate. I could give back. Um, I also did after hours and like offered to tell my story to social mm. workers, to CASAs, to people like that. Um, but eventually I just kind of stepped out of it due to some personal reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like doing the restaurant thing and mm-hmm. 
kind of working at a barbershop and mm-hmm. just kind of just like bouncing around, finding my way. Eventually moved out of Janice's house and like got my own room at like, I was renting a room basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got pregnant. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then I got pregnant um, with my little boy. His name is Makayo. And oh. yeah, his name means gift from God. Oh, uh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's Hawaiian, it's unique. So he after having him, my life did like a 360. Mm-hmm. So I mean, through through his years of like growing up, I went from a couple homes. I lived with my brother for a little bit, um, just trying to get my life back and right and just not just continue to do what I wanted to do because it's mm-hmm. not about me anymore, it's about my son. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a, we moved, we lived a few places. Um, and then eventually I got married, um, mm-hmm. about a year ago. Um, Congratulations. So thank you. Yeah. I eventually emancipated out of foster care so okay. from two to 21, mm-hmm. um, my whole life, basically my whole life. Yeah. Um, and now I'm married and I have a blended family and I live in Roseville. Okay. So you Love. were never adopted. I was never adopted. So no. you were a foster child from age two to 21 until the, the system released you. Exactly. Talk to me about your healing. Cause like, listen, you now have two kids and mm-hmm. a husband mm-hmm. and that's not an easy thing for someone who went through everything that you've gone through. I know that you obviously did have those years with Liz and Larry that were very mm-hmm. like, functional, loving, supportive, all of that. But going through the death of your mother figure, then the trauma with your father figure, and then bouncing around all the respite homes and this person and that person, and then the drugs and that, like, that is a lot of stuff for a kid to see, to experience. And I feel like it would be very easy for you to just kind of go down a self-destructive path because you have been through a lot. Have you been through way more than most people have ever experienced, you know? Mm -hmm. So what was your, how did you heal from that? I know you mentioned counseling earlier and therapy and things like that. Like, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, it's funny that you use that word destructive. Like Mm -hmm. I could have gone down this road. I could have gone down the road of, uh, destructiveness. I could have gone down the road of hatredness. I could have isolated myself. Um, so how I healed back then, Mm -hmm. um, is I, I leaned into community. Mm -hmm. Um, I opened up to a few of like my friends, moms, and just kind of told them how I was doing. Um, I, I also prayed a lot. Mm-hmm. I was, like I said, Liz and Larry, like they raised us in the church. Like I knew who God was. I knew who they were. Um, and a lot of my healing through everything is no matter what I was facing back then, I just kind of kept telling myself, well, how would mom and dad want you to react to this? Like, mm-hmm. what would they be happy with? Like as a Christian, like how should I have done this? And I asked for repentance, you know, mm-hmm. like, during my addictions of drugs and alcohol and just coming to the Lord all the time. I was just kind of like, God, like, I don't want this. This isn't me. Mm -hmm. I need help clearly. Cause there were times where I just 
kept going. I, I was self-destructive and, and mm-hmm. especially with alcohol. Um, and I would just kind of numb everything out. And that mm-hmm. really came after my dad, after losing my dad, the alcoholism really came into effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I battle today. Um, so I, when I say I go to counseling, um, I did do like, like therapy mm-hmm. after my mom died for probably a couple months. And that was nice. It kind of mm-hmm. just made me get my thoughts together. Um, mm-hmm. But now as an adult, um, I go to CR. Um, so a bunch of churches have it. Uh, it's called a CR stands for Celebrate Recovery. Oh, yeah. Tell yeah. me. And so it's people think it's just for alcohol and drugs, but it's not. It's for like pornography. It's for infidelity. It's for eating habits. It's for sugar habits. Mm-hmm. It's for anything that that goes on. Um, so it's something that I do to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband goes to, we go together um, for his, he go, he doesn't have addictions with alcohol, but he just has other life issues. You know? Sure. So he goes to his group and I go to my group and we go every Monday. Um, so that's something now that a lot of healing is taking place now um, because the past few years, I kind of did numb out. I kind of did mm-hmm. just turn to the bottle. Um, I always kept my faith. I always go to church. I always prayed, especially on those hangover days. I was praying really hard. I was like, Lord, please. I don't like, why? I feel so stupid. Like why? And I I said this at my group the other day. Um, I was like, well, if God's created us in his image, like, why am I like this? Like he knows the steps I'm going to take. Why do I keep taking the bad ones? You know, like, is this the life he has designed for me? Um, and one of the girls pulled me aside and she kind of talked to me and broke down that verse a little bit for me to look at it a different view. Mm-hmm. And what I'm learning now, a lot of the healing now is surrendering, mm-hmm. surrendering all of that that happened to me mm-hmm. and surrendering it to the Lord um, and not being angry at him. It's mm-hmm. like you took everything, like you gave me something beautiful and then you ripped it away in like the horrible mm-hmm. ways. Like mm-hmm. mom died of cancer. She was such a golden heart, you know, mm-hmm. and dad falls off a roof and then goes into a vegetable state for mm-hmm. seven years, like, and mm-hmm. then dies a week before my 20th birthday. It's like, how could you do that to me, Lord? You know? So I just, I had a lot of conversations with God, which mm-hmm. isn't easy to do because some people hear from God. I didn't hear anything for a long time, mm-hmm. but I kept talking to him and I kept talking to him and I still talk to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Lord, like I'm trying to surrender. And, mm-hmm. and right now I really am just in the process of giving it to him. And I mm-hmm. think surrendering those hurts and those hardships is the process of healing mm-hmm. and healing isn't overnight. Healing is going to take time. Healing mm-hmm. is going to take years. Um, as a mom now, it's like, Wow, I, I need to, I need a lot of healing. You know, I have a little boy looking up to me. So mm-hmm. it's an ongoing process for me for healing. Mm, I love that actually. Like, I love that. I mean, everyone that's ever been on this podcast that's ever been through anything has said healing is a lifelong thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's just the way it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, we all have different experiences, obviously that, look different and impact us in different ways. But yeah, for someone like you dealing with what you dealt with for as long as you dealt with it, of course, Mm -hmm. your healing journey is going to be a day by day thing Mm -hmm. 
for a long time. And thank God for programs, like you said, like Celebrate Recovery, where you can have support, be with people every Monday, you know, remind yourself of what's true and get back to it. I think that that's amazing. Yeah. My, my healing is definitely uh, grounded in my faith. And yeah. that's because of Liz and Larry. They, that's how they raised me during those darkest days. Um, I always knew that God's hand was on my life. Um, mm. And now as an adult, there were a couple of situations where, you know, I should have been taken out. Like I shouldn't be here. Um, and in those moments, looking back now, I'm like, whoa, like God's hand was there. God's hands was there. Mm-hmm. An angel for sure protected me there. And when I say that, I was uh, drinking and driving one day and my car spun out of control mm. on the, on the uh, Highway 5, which is a very busy mm. highway over here. Um, it did a 360. I did not hit one car. I did mm. not hit the wall. I actually became a drift driver. I joke about it. I'm like, I didn't know I could drift, <laughs> but <laughs> I that wasn't me. It was clearly God. And mm. I straightened the car out and got off the highway. And it's wow. like, that car should have flipped another person should have been hurt. Mm-hmm. I could have hit the center divider. Um, and I didn't, not mm-hmm. one scratch, not one thing. And, and I'm just like, Oh, that was totally God, you know, mm-hmm. like, so it's, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Um, faith is a hard thing, um, mm-hmm. but faith is a beautiful thing. Um, but leaning into it every single day and luckily having the husband that I have, um, Oh, he prays. He he's awake. You thought I woke up early. He was up <laughs> at four and he was in the living room praying. Wow. Yeah. And he prayed over me before this podcast. So I'm surrounded by um, prayer. I'm surrounded and I welcome the Holy Spirit and I ask for guidance. And Mm. I think that's all we really can do because we can't really control much. So Mm -hmm. what do you want people to know about the foster care system? Yeah. What I want people to know about the foster care system um, is it's, it's really important. If if you or anybody you know is interested in becoming a foster parent, um, take the classes, take a look at your heart, um, figure out why you want to do it. Um, if you have any hurt or or anything that you're going through and you're thinking of becoming a foster parent, like a foster parent, get some help with that first before mm. taking another child because these children they don't have my story a lot of them just get bounced around from house to house a lot of them don't have a firm foundation like I did mm-hmm. uh, so I say that from like a for people who want to be foster parents to really take a look at their heart um and then just knowing that these children that come into foster care like they're broken mm-hmm. they're scared they're hurt um they want to fit in um mm-hmm. affection is a big thing. And affection is also maybe not wanted either. So just Mm -hmm. finding different forms of communication and giving love is going to be really important and listening to them, listen Mm -hmm. to the kids, listen to what they want, um, try to be interested in what they have to say, put them in a sport. I mean, that saved me for sure. I, and the foster, the County actually paid for half of my uniform, like cheerleading, you know, it's like we had camp, we had uniforms, Mm -hmm. um, and also that foster care isn't supposed to be long-term. It's not mm. what it's for. Foster care is to eventually reunite the children with their biological parents. Mm. Uh, and so just going in with that heart as a foster parent um, or as a respite home or whomever, uh, just understand that you you were put in that child's life for then and now. You were put in their life 
to love them and support them. And ultimately, they will go back to their parents. Um, I think that's where some people have a hard time. It's like, well, they judge the biological parents. Like, well, they shouldn't go back there. It's not a safe place. But the goal of foster care is actually to reunite the children with their biological family. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brittany talked about that a little bit in our interview too, how she, she said that, you know, obviously are there circumstances where the children should not go back to their biological home parents if it's an unsafe situation? Yeah, obviously. But that should always be our goal first and foremost to try and rehabilitate the situation and reunite because that's always what is best for the child. If the home is safe, if the parents can be safe, then that is what we want you know? And I think that that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, um, I'm at recently, um, I, there's a program it's called aging up. Um, and I'm actually interviewing to be on the board to, as a youth advocate, um, the cutoff is 29, which I just turned 29. Um, but they were very interested and I'm, I'm really excited to look forward to it because it's all about mentoring. Mm. Uh, a lot of the foster kids, this would add to foster kids. And what I want people to know is a lot of people that are in the foster kids life are paid to be there. Okay. Parents are paid to be there. The social worker is paid to be there. The court is paid to be there. Therapy is assigned because the court said so. So a lot Mm -hmm. of people and adult figures that are in these kids' lives are paid to be there. Um, And that's hard for the kids because it's like, well, can I trust you? Do you really care? Is it just like you get to go home at the end of the day, your family, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, On the weekends, I'm just a Monday case file, you know? Mm -hmm. So. This program that I'm um, interviewing to be on the board for is called Aging Up, and they are all about mentoring. It is a complete mm. volunteer, um, kind of similar. You may be familiar with CASAs. Those are kind of court-appointed advocates for foster care, so they kind of get to speak up, um, which is also very helpful and nice. But with Aging Up, it's completely volunteer, um, and they get to be in the kid's life because they want to be there. Mm. Um, so just going back to foster kids, like be in their life because you want to be there, not because mm. you're doing it to get paid, not because somebody assigned you the case. Um, and so I'm really excited. Uh, I hope I get to be on the board for Aging Up, but it's a program here in Sacramento. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and it's all about volunteer and they, they, do, they teach them how to cook or bake. They teach, oh, they take them driving nice. lessons. They do like paintball, like all volunteer and it's just to, and it's focused on ages 13 to 20, which Amazing. is a big, big portion of foster kids that don't get, that are mostly in group homes yeah. because nobody wants a 13 year old. Nobody wants a 15 year old. Yeah. This program focuses on that age group because that age group gets shunned away. Mm-hmm. I was two and I was taken in like, sure. Whereas a 13 year old may have been passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's another beauty about the program. Oh, that's amazing. That is so amazing. Um, All right. We'll link everything in the show notes. We'll put your blog and all of that stuff. Sophia, thank you so much for just sharing your story, you know, bringing awareness to this. I think that it's just so important. And I just thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This is awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. 
check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.